You're listening to The Thrive Podcast, where every week we dive into a practical, tactical tip to bring you from a life of simply surviving to thriving. It's personal development for the everyday girl who is done with coasting through her days, done with feeling like she's missing out on the deeper meaning of her own life, and done with mediocrity once and for all. Because it's not enough to simply survive, you deserve to thrive. How do we invest the hours of our days so that we feel truly, deeply satisfied? Award-winning teacher and researcher and now best-selling author, Dr. Kathy Holmes, unpacks exactly that today on Thrive. As a top-rated professor at UCLA's Anderson School of Management and the author of Forbes Must Read of 2022, Happier Hour, Kathy's work on the intersection of time and happiness has been widely published and practiced, helping thousands and thousands of people ultimately feel better about and happier with whatever time they've got. Today on Thrive, she breaks down the difference between being time poor versus time affluent, shares how to make those essential time-sucking chore tasks less of a happiness kill, and explains why having more time isn't always the answer to more happiness. Kathy also gives us a few helpful exercises from her book, like a time tracking exercise to take inventory of your current time management, a times left exercise to better appreciate specific moments with loved ones, a five senses exercise to tune into the present moment, and a eulogy exercise to assess the legacy you want to be living and leaving now. Stay tuned through this conversation. Drop it five stars if you like what you're listening to. And now welcome, Kathy. Thank you so much for having me, Erica. This is super fun. Yay. This is a conversation I have selfishly been so stoked to bring on to Thrive as it's with one of my favorite college professors, Dr. (laughs) Kathy Holmes. She was my brand strategy professor at Wharton, but has since moved on to UCLA's Anderson School of Management. And her award-winning work now largely revolves around the intersection of time and happiness. So I'm sure You are now sharing in my excitement in welcoming Cassie to the show. So hi, hello, so happy you are here. Can you please introduce yourself to our lovely listeners? Yeah, and it's so fun to be here because especially with a former student (laughs) um, who is thriving on Thrive. Um, So yeah, I have been uh, researching uh, the intersection of time and happiness Um, throughout my career. So I did my PhD um, at Stanford's uh, Graduate School of Business, um, focusing, I I was in the marketing area, but my really my training is social psychology. And there I looked at my dissertation work was looking at what's the effect of focusing on time as our most critical resource versus money on happiness, finding just how important it is um, to think about time and consider it Um, And then I spent uh, the next sort of phase of my career, my first faculty position was at Wharton, where I had the pleasure of teaching brilliant students like yourself. Um, And there I continued to research time and happiness, but I taught more traditional marketing courses, namely brand management or brand strategy, which you you took. Um, And then, being a Southern Californian and having um, young kids, uh, I uh, I decided that I'm like, I want to move back to sunshine and in Southern California. And so I moved to UCLA 
um, about six years ago where I have continued to study research time and happiness, but I've also actually developed a course where I teach it. So pulling all of the empirical insights together, both from my own research, as well as that of my colleagues in behavioral decision-making, social psychology, marketing, organizational behavior, to answer the question of how should we be investing our time so that we feel happier in the day-to-day, -day, as well as more satisfied and fulfilled about our lives overall, including our professional lives. And um, this course, which is called Applying the Science of Happiness, um, Applying the Science of Happiness to Life Design, has become one of um, Anderson's most popular electives for our MBAs. And when seeing the amazing effect of learning these learnings, these empirically based learnings um, to my students' lives, when I was asked or approached about writing a book, I was like, yes, because then more people can um, benefit from these insights. And so Happier Hour, um, which is my new book, and I'm so excited about it being out in the world and hearing, like I've started hearing uh, from readers just how impactful it's already being for them. And so I'm super excited about, um, I'm super excited about it all. <laughs> yes, as you should be. It's also, isn't it already a bestseller and a Forbes must read of 2022? Like major congratulations. That's awesome. Thanks. So it's called Happier Hour, How to Beat Distraction, Expand Your Time, and Focus on What Matters Most, which is incredible. What brought you to the point of wanting to create this and bring it to the world, and why now especially? Yeah, well, as I said, when I saw the impact of the course, which is very much the book is sort of bringing that course in a reader-friendly version um, to folks. Um, I wanted to sort of spread the impact. Um, and interestingly, it has turned out to be really timely because though I have been studying this and working on this throughout my career, the last couple of years have taught everyone just how important time is, just how important happiness is. Like I used to have to, like particularly in a business school context, have to motivate why we care about happiness um, with the question of like, is there a place for happiness in business? And the answer is yes. But the last couple of years with the pandemic have taught us that like with anxiety rates as high as they are, depression rates as high as they are, burnout rates as high as they are, both individuals and organizations recognize just how important our emotional well-being is and we need to take care of it. Um, also with respect to time, like the, the last couple of years have taught us that, you know, like when you think our hours sum up to our days, our years and our life overall, and what the pandemic has sadly highlighted for all of us is that our lives are fragile. Our time is precious. And so everyone is now trying to figure out how do we invest the hours of our days so that we feel satisfied about our lives. People are sort of in a quest for meaning. 
like in the midst of all of the awfulness that we've um, experienced as well as witnessed um, in the last few years. So it's, it's timely. Um, and I'm just so happy that the book <laughs> is ready to meet people at this point where um, they're looking for it and searching for some of these answers. For sure. And as a mom now myself, and I'm sure you can relate and agree to this too. I feel like something I hear the most is, oh, I just don't have time. So I know you say in the book too, time isn't actually just the problem, but it's also the solution. So can you unpack this for us and maybe debunk the myth of, oh, I just don't have time <laughs> to yeah. do all of the things. But that feeling of, I just don't have time um, is is a serious one. Um, and it's, uh, it's actually, I share uh, the opening story in um, the book is, is me <laughs> earlier in my career um, where I felt that way. And it was like, when back when I was living in Philly, um, at Wharton and it was just one of these crazy days where like I took the train up to New York to give a talk um, a research talk and then I had these like back-to-back -back meetings this colleague dinner and I was rushing to make the very last train that would get me home to my four-month-old and my husband back in Philly and as I was sitting on the train I was so exhausted totally overwhelmed and I was like looking out the window and as everything was passing by so quickly in the darkness I was like dude I don't know if I can keep up between the pressures of work wanting to be a good parent wanting to be a good partner wanting to be a good friend <laughs> wanting to stay on top of that those chores you know so the house doesn't like turn into you know whatever desiree um it's like there simply aren't enough hours in the day to get everything done and this sense and actually what uh we refer to it in the literature as time poverty feeling time poor is this acute feeling of having too much to do and not enough time to do it and when i say it's serious it is serious because it's really prevalent so we conducted a national poll showing that across a representative sample of americans nearly half feel time poor. Nearly half feel like they don't have enough time to do. And moms tend to feel more time poor than dads and working parents in particular are the most impoverished. But it's not to say that you have to be working or to be a parent to feel this way. All types of people do. Um, and the effects are really serious because research has shown that when we feel like we don't have enough time, it makes us less healthy, so we don't take the time to exercise. We delay going to the doctor. It makes us less nice. We're less likely to take slow down and help other people out. It makes us less confident in being able to achieve what we set out to do, and it makes us less happy. And so, I found this in the research, and I in in that. At sort of night on the train, I was like, okay, and I'm sure you as a working mom can absolutely that feeling of having too much to do and not enough time to do. It's like, okay, the solution is clear, right? I need to quit my job so then I can move to a sunny island somewhere and have a whole lot more time because surely I'd be happier, right? And we all have this, like, if, like, I guess the only thing I can do is quit. And so, but I was like, before I quit, like, 
the question is, would are people who have a whole lot more discretionary time happier? We tested this empirically. And so we looked among tens of thousands of working and non-working Americans. We, uh, there's American Time Use Survey data where it captures a typical day for them. And what we did was we calculated how much time they spent on discretionary activities, related that to their happiness. And what we found was really interesting because it was like a upside down U or like an arc or a rainbow. So yes, with too little discretionary time, too little time to spend doing the things you wanna do, people are less happy. So that is that state of me on the train, the state that you can absolutely do um, empathize with, sympathize with. Um, but what was really interesting and maybe surprising is that folks with too much discretionary time were also less happy. And that was because we want to be some, like we are averse to being idle. We wanna spend some of our time uh, with something to show for how we spent that time. And so when we spend, you know, have days with hours upon hours of nothing to show for our time, it makes us less satisfied and less happy. So, and also in this arc of rainbow, there's this like broad swath where there, it's actually pretty flat. And so what it suggests is it's not about how much time you have that, it, and also it's not, you won't be happier if you have a whole lot more time. It's really how you invest the time you have. So getting to your question, time is not just a problem. It is a problem because it feels really limiting. It can be really limiting, but it's a solution because the way you feel fulfilled and satisfied at the end of your day is by investing the hours that you do have in ways that feel worthwhile and minimize the time and spending that time in ways that feel like a waste. Something I love in the book too, is how many actual exercises and really practical takeaways you have to kind of put all of this into action. Can you walk us through the time tracking exercise specifically? Yeah. Because I feel like that's a really great starting off point for everyone to actually take inventory of how they are using their time on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. And I'm so glad you asked about that exercise in particular, because you know, when I just said that solution is, the answer is investing more time, maximizing more of your time on activities that are worthwhile, minimizing the time you spend on activities that feel like a waste. And then the question is always like, well, what are those worthwhile activities? What are those wasteful activities? And what the time tracking exercise does is it allows you to identify for yourself, what are those activities that are worthwhile? What are those that are waste? So what time tracking is, is over the course of a week, and there's a um, worksheet on my website um, that you can use, but you, you can do this otherwise. And in uh, Happier Hour, there's these more detailed instructions for how to do this and analyze the data. But basically what you're doing is every half hour, write down the activity that you did, like what how you spent your time. And be pretty specific, not just like work, but what work are you doing? Because for me, you know, like an hour that or a half hour that I spend writing on like working on my book, for instance, versus a hour that I spend in a faculty meeting. <laughs> Those feel very different. So be pretty precise in the activity. But also important is that you rate having spent, having done that activity sort of as shortly after as you can 
rate on a 10 point scale, how you felt, like, how did that activity make you feel on like overall positivity? So like overall happiness. So like how enjoyable, satisfied, fulfilling, like, how did you feel coming out of it? And what's really helpful, like it, the tracking itself admittedly is pretty tedious, but what you get from that is so informative because at the end of the week, you have this amazing personalized data set. So you can look across and be like, okay, what are those activities that got my highest ratings? And even like of those activities, what are some like underlying commonalities across them? So you can pull out, these are these really important things. The, the, these ways of spending my time are super worthwhile. You can also see just how much time you're spending across your activities. So you can see, for instance, like, oh my gosh, I spent a whole lot of time on social media, for instance, and that often is, turns out to be quite surprising. People are like, oh, I just do a few minutes here, a few minutes there. But those minutes end up being like a half hour here, an hour there, and those add up to many hours over the course of your week. And what's more illuminating is you realize that actually my ratings, like how it made me feel, wasn't that awesome. So this is an activity that I'm spending a whole lot of time doing. It's totally unnecessary. So it's not actually needed. And it's making me feel not that awesome. And so for those of us who are like, oh my gosh, I'm so busy. If you see how that you're spending a lot of time on an activity that isn't all that fun, nor is it necessary, but you're like, I don't have time for these activities that actually you might be getting those 10 ratings or, you know, nines and tens, like coming out of an exercise or like going for a run in the morning. It's like, ugh, so often it's like, I don't have time to go for a run. But then I see how I felt having gone for a run and not only how I felt immediately after, the time tracking data allows you to see what are some of the carryover effects, like on those days, for instance, that you start off having gone for a run, for example, or getting a great night's sleep, you're like, wow, my overall ratings were higher that day. So that's really insightful. And then you can also see what are those ways of spending time that are like your worst, right? What get the lowest ratings? What are some commonalities across them? And then in the book, I have some strategies for how to sort of minimize the effects of those negative ones, as well as with this data and insight um, from what's positive, it's also really helpful because it leads you to carve out and make time for the good stuff so that you don't end up at the end of the day or a week being like, oh my God, I spend a whole lot of time being busy, but none of it felt really worthwhile. That's, that's what you're trying to reallocate um, against. Yeah. Okay. And I would be remiss to not ask you then how you recommend thinking of, or maybe mentally reframing those tasks that we all have to do. And right off the bat, people are probably thinking, but Cassie, I really don't like doing laundry or I really don't like doing the dishes and I cannot just cross them out of my day because I rate them a negative seven. So how should everyone kind of mentally shift those must do's that probably don't make them very happy and maybe take a little bit more time than we would all like, but cannot be eliminated altogether. Absolutely. And it's such a good question because chores like folding the laundry um, 
are among the activities that tend to be rated as the least happy. Um, and But we have to do them, right? Like the laundry isn't gonna do itself. Um, so there's a really helpful strategy um, that it has a really, <laughs> it's like, it's such a simple idea, um, but it has a big effect. And this is actually coming out of research um, by another Wharton uh, professor, Katie Milkman and her research, and it's called the strategy is a bundling strategy. So what you do is you bundle one of these unfun activities like folding the laundry. And the reason it's so unfun is like, it feels like a waste. So you're just trying to get through it. It is not enriching or interesting at all. Um, and you bundle it with something that is fun and enriching like listening to a podcast, you know, a Thrive podcast or listening to an audiobook. Um, or calling a friend and catching up. So doing like bundling this unfun activity with these activities that are enriching, like a podcast that makes you, helps you learn something or an audiobook. like when, it, when with respect to feeling like we don't have enough time, I have folks complete this sentence. I don't have time to X. Among the things that people say they don't have time to do and wish they did is reading for pleasure. But if you listen to an audiobook while you're folding the laundry, while you're commuting, commuting is another activity that oftentimes folks have to do, not necessarily fun. Um, if you're listening to an audiobook every time you get in the car, then you actually get through like a book every week or so. So you can read for pleasure or calling your friend who lives on the other side of the country, you can stay connected. And so what bundling does is it, re it's not even reframing because it's not just like you're tricking yourself, you're actually adjusting the, that time, those minutes that you spent, shifting them from being a waste and something you're trying to get through to something that's worthwhile for whether it's through by making it socially connecting or enriching or interesting or educational. Now I'm curious if in any of your research now, as of late, you have found that as people are trying to essentially maximize every minute for increased happiness, does the threshold for happiness then increase where what you require to have that emotional shift and become happier and feel deeper happiness is now higher and higher and higher the more happiness that you are experiencing or is it still something where like everyday little moments will still bring you the same amount of joy if you're experiencing them more regularly yeah and i think that that's a good question because it's important for me to speak to it so i think that the goal that I am putting out there is not to be maximizing happiness hour by hour, but to be investing your time in ways that feel worthwhile, with worthwhile being bringing you joy or fulfillment. Um, so it's not like happiness is your goal. That's the outcome of investing in these really worthwhile ways. Um, and it's not just actually speaking to the second part of your question of like, like, do we stop noticing <laughs> these sort of simple pleasures if it's like, we, we're sort of like always in it. Um, and there is uh, work that shows the effects of 
what we call hedonic adaptation. So this is that as you get exposed to things over time, like after repeated exposure, you do the same thing again and again, or you see, see the same person again and again, it stops having as intense of a effect on your emotional experience. And so that is, we get used to things over time. And the fact that we hedonically adapt is good because it means that when bad stuff happens, it stops having quite as strong of uh, or intense of an effect on us. So it helps us be resilient, but it's bad because when we have repeated exposure to good stuff, like these simple pleasures of, I don't know, waking up next to your partner or putting your little one to bed, um, you know, or having a conversation with either of these, like most like your favorite people, like day in and day out, these everyday experiences, we get used to them such that we stop noticing them. Um, and that's really crummy when it's these day-to-day -day experiences that there's so much potential joy in them. Um, and so we, you know, miss out on those potential joys just because we've gotten so used to them that we're not paying attention or we're distracted during them. So research shows that we're actually distracted half the time. Um, so in a happier hour, it's, I have exercises that aren't only to help identify what activities you should spend more time on, but also how do you engage in those worthwhile activities and actually get the most out of them? How do you make it so that you don't miss out on those potential joys that are right there in the time you're already spending? Um, and one example of an activity that helps you do that is um, counting your times left. So pick, like think back over the last couple of weeks, what was an activity that you did that made you feel so happy, that brought you such joy? So often these are like super ordinary moments. And, uh, and I'll use an example. So, and it's helpful because uh, even no matter how busy we are, we can absolutely sort of identify, well, that, that was a really lovely experience. Um, so my coffee dates with my daughter, Lita, I like an example for me, no matter how busy, it's like I look to the, this half hour where she and I go to the coffee shop each week. And it's so lovely because it's just, she and she and I, <laughs> she and me, and we are sitting and chatting and she has her hot chocolate. I have my flat white, we have croissants. And it's, it's time that is every day. It's not every day, it's every week, but it's so regular. Um, but I calculated how many times have I done, have we had our coffee dates together in the past? So that's the next step. So you identify what's an activity that brings you joy. Count how many times you've done it so far in your life. I calculate with Lita that we've had about 400 coffee dates together. Um, and that includes like maternity leave where I would like bundle her up and, you know, go to the coffee shop because that was like my source of sanity to get out the door. Um, and then like weekly. So we had about 400 coffee dates together th thus far. The next step is to calculate how many times you will do this again accounting for the fact that circumstances in your life will likely change. If your joyful activity involves another, circumstances in their life might change. 
So I calculated, okay, Lita's seven and about five years, she'll be 12. So we'll probably prefer to go to the coffee shop with her friends over me, sad. So it's like, it won't be probably weekly. And then she's gonna go off to college and then she's likely gonna like live across the country. And so I calculate, we, we have probably 230 coffee days left together. And then the last step is counting what percentage of the total times you've done it do you have left? And I recognize that we have 35% of our coffee days left. That's less than half. And she's only seven. And so what does that make me do? Well, A, it makes me carve out and make time, ensure that we do spend this coffee date, we, this 30 minutes together um, each week. So it is about the activity, but what it also makes me do is pay attention, right? It's like my phone is away. That to-do list that is running through my head gets quieted. So, and I'm paying attention. So I'm not missing out. Like, yes, this is a regular activity, but it's not regular. It makes me pay attention and realize how precious and savor it and cherish it. And also recognizing that it's just 30 minutes, but it has a, an effect beyond those 30 minutes. So it's like all the time we spend each week anticipating, like looking forward to it. And then we spend the time, that 30 minutes where we're totally in it. And then we remember it. We reflect back. And so, you know, you ask me, how happy are you? How satisfied are you in your life? It's like, absolutely. Because what I think about is like my relationship with my daughter, who like, I love her so much. And we, we are close and connected, despite the fact that I am working my butt off, you know, in my profession. Um, and we have all these other activities, you know, in our lives. Um, so I think that that is, is I apologize, I forget what, what I was answering, but it's important for all of us to recognize it's not just the activity, it's also how we engage in the activity that matters. I love that. Can you also share with us the five senses exercise? Because I love the overarching idea of helping you be more connected and more present in the actual moment to get them to get so much out of it. Yeah. And um, the five senses uh, meditation is, is so helpful because what meditation does is it allow, helps you sort of quiet the distraction pull your attention to the here and now. I am terrible, <laughs> like a terrible meditator. I can't do the like, sit still and be really quiet. So the five senses one is a very helpful one because it allows me to sort of be out in the world. And actually I do it with my kids, which is really fun. And so what you do is first five things and identify five things that you see and you can do this, either say it out loud to yourself, say it to yourself in your mind, or if I do this with my kids, so we each go around and we say what we see. So five things you can see, four things you can hear, three things you can smell, two things you can touch, and one thing you taste. And it's not a long meditation, but what it really does is it grounds you in your current environment. It makes you experience the present because often what we're distracted by is our thinking. And for us parents, moms in particular, 
planning for what's next, what's in the future. And with that comes anxiety. And so by it's this practice. And so meditation across the board is a practice that then you can apply as you're doing any activity to, so that you are more present. Um, because not only are we distracted all the time or not all the time, at least half the time, um, research also shows that we're happier when we are not distracted. We are happier when we are paying attention to what we're currently doing. Yeah, that makes, it makes so much sense when you think about it, but I feel like it takes so much effort and more and more effort as technology increases. And just as time continues on, it's just so funny how it takes so much more intention and effort for people to get present and stay present in a moment, because there are so many different things vying for our attention at any given moment. So even just little reminders of tuning in, I think can make such a big difference for people and are so appreciated. So it's wonderful. Can you Absolutely. mention, walk us through time affluence too, because I think you kind of flip, touched on the, the flip side of that with time poverty earlier, but yeah. I know you also have some helpful tricks and tools up your sleeve for becoming more time affluent. So drop us some of those as well. Yeah. So the time affluence is basically as I talked about this sense of being limited by time when we feel like we are time poor. Um, and time affluence is removing that sense of limitation. Um, and when it's important to recognize the way that you can do that. So removing the sense of limitation so that you feel like you can indeed accomplish what you set out to do. Um, now, ways to do that or to uh, increase your sense of being able to accomplish what you set out to do. Um, for instance, exercise. As I mentioned, exercise is a, one of these things that we neglect when we feel time poor, but it has been shown to be a very effective mood booster, offsetting anxiety, but also increasing self-esteem. And so when you go for a run, for instance, for me, I keep using the example of going for a run because that's my source of exercise that I find enjoyment from. But, you know, it can be, <laughs> lots of people have different ways of exercising that is they're more enjoyable for them. But for me, going for a run, it's like, you know, the night before I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't have time. But when I make the time on the run, it's like, it, there's this shift of like, oh my gosh, I can do it. And so I go back from my run and I'm like, yes, bring it on day. <laughs> it lessens that sense of uh, time scarcity, making me feel more time affluent. I also have research that shows that giving time can sort of give you time. So another thing that we neglect doing, as I mentioned before, when we don't feel like we have time is actually spending time to help others out. But we found that when people do spend their time to help others, it makes them feel like they have more time because it makes them realize like how much they can accomplish with the time that they spend. When you help someone, you're like, you feel really impactful and effective. And that increasing sense of self-efficacy carries over to make you feel like, yes, 
I can do a lot with the time that I have. And so it minimizes that sense of constraint uh, and uh, increases expansion. The other is actually awe. So experiences of awe um, by shifting perspective. So for example, um, awe gets evoked like when you are exposed to nature, like seeing a beautiful sunrise or a beautiful sunset. Um, it can be evoked like in, you know, like live performance when you see a human like perform something beautiful and awe-inspiring. So when we experience awe, that expands our perspective and with that expands our sense of time. And so it's not the sort of like, oh my gosh, what's, you know, what am I going to do in the next 15 minutes? It, it like totally removes that. And you're like, okay, life is bigger. The world is bigger and I can do it. So that's what time affluence is. This sense of having the time that you need um, to do what you want. What I like about that too, is that there, it is something that is you have influence over in your own life. So I like that you can kind of add those things into your tool belt in the back of your brain, where if you find yourself feeling time impoverished and feeling time poor, you can intentionally schedule in something that will get your endorphins going and get yourself moving where you can trigger that or intentionally watch the sunset or something, even amidst the chaos happening around you, just to kind of trick your brain into feeling something a little bit different. Yeah. And even getting outside. So, you know, like seeing this sunset, there's interesting work that shows that simply being outside has a significant mood boosting effect. They, it's like this really interesting work that came out of um, the UK where they used geolocation data and they could see at any moment where someone was. So they could see whether they're inside or outside. And then they would ping them and ask, how happy are you? And through that, they realized or found the results showed that people are significantly happier when they are outside compared to when they are inside. And like, yes, the, the effect is even stronger when it's sunny out versus not. And yes, the effect is even stronger when you're in a natural setting versus an urban setting. But irrespective of those things, simply being outside has this positive effect on our mood. So. And that's something is accessible to all of us. So like when we get in that sort of like, we are in our heads and spiraling and you know, all of that, that we are all subject to, um, just go outside, go for a walk around the block. Um, and that alone uh, can have really positive effects, both like potentially if you, you are so lucky to have an awe-inspiring experience, that sense of expansion, but also just that um, lacking of limitation that, that sort of gets reminded in the sort of physical environment, but um, sort of carries over in our, to our temporal experience as well. Yeah, I love that. So we are almost at the end, both literally and figuratively speaking here. And I know one of your most powerful exercises and one you do with students now too is the eulogy exercise. So I thought that would be a fun one to close things out with. <laughs> So can you tell everyone what that is and why it is so impactful? Yeah, and why it's in a happiness class because it sounds super depressing. Yes. Um, so the eulogy exercise is 
as I have my students and I talk about it, um, the sort of way to do this exercise and get the most out of it in a happier hour, but it's projecting to the end of your life and thinking about and writing actually, how do you want to be remembered? So what legacy do you want to live, leave? Um, what do you want people to say about you? Um, and it's actually not an activity about death, even though it might sound like it. It's really an activity about life. It's having you articulate and identify what life do you want to live? And what that helps you do is clarify what's, what matters to you. What values are really important to you? What is your purpose? Like, what are your goals? Um, and from that, uh, it can help inform, you're taking this broader perspective and we have research that shows even that people who take a broader perspective of time thinking in terms of years instead of hours are happier, they experience a greater sense of meaning because what it does is it makes you spend time on what's important as opposed to just being reactive to what seems urgent in the moment. And by taking that view of your life overall, it informs how you spend your upcoming hours. So it's a, it's a, it's absolutely an impactful and helpful exercise. I would think it also helps you give yourself a little more grace because when you're looking at it and taking that bird's eye view, you're probably not as hung up on the little details or the perceived failures of those of your day-to-day -day life. And you're able to step back and be like, all right, I can let that go that I can let that person go. I can let whatever go because it doesn't actually matter in the grand scheme of things, which letting all of the, that stuff go probably also positively correlates to your happiness levels. So I, yeah. 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 And that's a really, really important point. Um, and that's exactly what it does. It highlights what matters, what is important and not all that like nitty gritty stuff, you know, whether it's failures yeah. or not, it's just the nitty gritty that weighs us down and stresses us out in the day to day, but taking the bird's eye view. Um, yeah, it sort of pulls yeah. that away. I love that. Well, Cassie, in closing things out, I want to ask you a question I ask all guests on Thrive, which is what does Thrive mean to you and how do you strive to thrive in your everyday life? For Thrive, what it means to me is I've identified sort of through this process and using some of the exercises that I share is that my goal, my purpose is to create knowledge about what makes people happy and disseminate knowledge about what makes people happy and so I feel like I am thriving when, and creating happiness around me. I feel like I am thriving when I am investing my time in ways that are aligned with this purpose. That's awesome. I love that. Are your kids on board with that too? Like, do you feel like they are aware that you're like a happiness guru and that it's super cool that mom's really tuned into happiness? <laughs> they totally, they totally are. Um, and that's actually been a learning too. I mean, they're a lot in the book. So they're the beneficiaries yeah. of me doing this work and sort of living it. Um, but as I, I actually, <laughs> this I know wasn't a question, but I, I think it might be helpful for folks who are um, trying to do the parent as well as profession thing is that I have 
brought my kids into it and so that they can see me doing the work. So I bring them and have brought them to me giving lectures or talks. Um, they came with me to New York uh, for my book launch. Um, and with that, what they can see is what I'm working so hard to do. It's not just me spending time away from them. I am doing and I'm like working really hard at something I really care about. And when they see that, they care about it too. And they're like super proud um, and it's really cute and it makes all of this so much more rewarding. Yeah, it's awesome. You're setting such a good example and leaving such a cool legacy for them, which is really, really admirable. So that's awesome. Awesome. Well, you're doing great too. (laughs) Oh gosh, thanks. Tell everyone where they can find you online to connect with you more, but also grab a copy, of course, of Happier Hour. Um, yeah, so you can buy, get your copy of Happier Hour anywhere, including Amazon and most local bookstores. Um, but Amazon is an easy way. Um, and then my website is www.cassiemholmes.com. And there, um, is a lot of stuff about my research, where I am right now, um, more information about the book, as well as the time tracking exercise, (laughs) you know, which we talked about, um, as well as ways you can contact me. And I'm not actually on social media so much other than LinkedIn. So you can also connect with me on LinkedIn. Wait, before you go, make sure you're subscribed to never miss an episode of Thrive. Drop five stars on your way out if you like what you just listened to. And come join the party on Instagram at thrive.podcast to stay inspired and thriving all week long. Thanks for tuning in. It's your time to thrive.